we know for a fact that the numbers of majority minority districts decreased from the first version of the state maps to the second version of the state maps, despite the fact that there is, for instance, increasing numbers of Latinos living in the state of Illinois, those people deserve a chance to be heard and to be rightfully represented as we all do. And the Democratic supermajority in the state of Illinois chose to disrespect them. So I believe that the congressional map does fairly more fairly represent the state in terms of diversity. The legislative map does have some challenges, and I believe that they could have easily made an additional um, Latino district, especially on the southwest side of Chicago. Welcome to the Cloudcast. I'm Joel Ebert. I'll be your host this week. For months, Illinois lawmakers have undertaken the once-a-decade task of drawing new political boundaries for the legislature, state Supreme Court, and congressional districts. The process has been lengthy and at times messy, with everyday citizens voicing their concerns about lack of transparency, adequate information, and the at times rushed nature of the proceedings. On our first episode of the Cloudcast, the Daily Line offered a perspective look at the legislative redistricting process as well as the redrawing of boundaries in Chicago. The city is just weeks away from a required deadline for passing new ward boundaries. The legislative maps, meanwhile, are facing a legal challenge that is expected to wrap up before 2022. The recently approved congressional boundaries are still being analyzed, with candidates still deciding what they want to do next year. This week on the Cloutcast, I'll look back on the past 11 months of redistricting in the Illinois legislature by talking to Madeline Dubeck, the Executive Director of Change Illinois. You'll also hear from mapmaker Frank Calabrese, who testified in several legislative hearings while working for Chicago Democrats. Both Dubeck and Calabrese share their impressions of the redistricting process and what was approved while offering a look ahead at how redistricting could change in the future. Let's get started. Joining me now on the Cloutcast is Madeline Dubeck, Executive Director of Change Illinois. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure, Joel. So the last time I talked to you on the Cloudcast was almost a year ago for our first episode, uh, which sort of served as a setup for redistricting in the state legislature and the Chicago City Council. So I wanted to check back in with you now that a lot has been uh, done in the state level. Uh, lawmakers have held dozens of hearings and ultimately approved new district boundaries for the legislature, the state Supreme Court, and most recently, the congressional boundaries. Throughout the redistricting process, several organizations, including yours, were engaged speaking at public hearings. Um, but for those that didn't hear the hours of a testimony, which unfortunately I had to listen to every single one of them, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what were some of the high points of changes testimony during those hearings? Well, uh, I guess, first of all, we should point out that um, lawmakers, in fact, uh, approved two versions of state legislative maps because the first set of maps they drew were based on uh, averaged community survey data, not actual 2020 census data. And in fact, um, it turned out that once we had the census data in mid-August, uh, everybody realized what we had predicted all along, which is that the, the districts were um, very much out of, 
out of equal population. So there was a situation where several districts had far more people than others or far fewer people than others. And so uh, that's a clear violation outside of a range of 10% of the principle of one person, one vote. So lawmakers had to come back and do it all over again. Uh, and they rushed through the process a second time. And uh, in fact, in, in the end, um, further alienated uh, black and brown voters in the state of Illinois and created fewer opportunities for them to elect people of their choosing. And, and throughout the, those hearings, you guys were essentially asking lawmakers slow down, right? Um, we were asking them to slow down, to please uh, truly engage more people in more communities across the state of Illinois. Um, you know, there was uh, some attempt to reach groups like ours, but not any, um, what I would say, vigorous attempts to uh, advertise what was going on and truly engage lots of regular people around the state. Um, you know, they had, they like to say that they had record numbers of hearings, uh, but very few people actually was were aware of those hearings and participated in them. And uh, most of the hearings were held during most people's working hours. Um, so it was really not a transparent process, not an open process, not a process uh, centered on what the people of the state of Illinois want. And in fact, I would say um, it felt like talking to a brick wall. It, it also seemed, you know, when you're coming to these hearings and have no idea what to react to, right? Um, maps weren't introduced until what one might say is the very end of the process, uh, leaving uh, the public very little time to offer a reaction. Probably the most uh, reaction came with the congressional redistricting maps, which some would say led to some of those changes. But there was very... Um, I guess I would say a limited interaction between uh, having a new map, the public being able to see it and provide an adequate, um, you know, uh, criticism that lawmakers could incorporate. Was that your sort of assist assessment as well? Absolutely. In some cases, you know, there was literally less than an hour um, between when a, a revised map was publicized and a hearing was held and then a few hours later votes were held. So it's it's practically impossible for people to uh, look at a map, digest it, understand the composition of various districts and uh, be able to engage and react and respond in a meaningful way when that's the situation. Looking back on the hearings and then the maps that were ultimately uh, produced and approved, what were your impressions on whether the voices of community members, whether it was in the legislative redistricting process where you heard folks like, um, you know, the Illinois uh, Muslim Civic Coalition arguing that they didn't have any representation uh, and others like uh, Latino groups saying, you know, we need equal representation. Were those voices and the, the concerns that they had heeded, um, you know, um, by what came out of the maps? No, absolutely not. Uh, you know, the Dalara Saeed, Dr. Dalara Saeed from the Illinois Muslim Civic Coalition, uh, very passionately and eloquently pointed out that 
she and others were speaking time and time again at every single hearing, and yet they were uh, perhaps heard but not truly listened to. Uh, no one reflected their needs and wants. Uh, they feel like they got no representation out of these maps whatsoever. And in the case of Latino groups, uh, again, there were major opportunities missed to provide a growing population in the state more representation. And so as a result, we have uh, the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Educational Fund, uh, among a few other groups, suing and claiming that their uh, constitutional rights and their right to representation has, have been violated. One of the stock responses from from Democrats throughout this process is that they were trying to draft maps that were reflective of the state in terms of demographics. What did you make of that line? And was it a sort of loaded rhetoric that gives the majority sort of a cover to ultimately boost their control? I think that's a great way to put it, Joel. I think that that, that line of rhetoric is just that. It's rhetoric. It's a patent falsehood. And uh, the facts indicate otherwise. So, you know, it's saying something that's going to sound good in a press release or as a defense in a lawsuit. Um, but we know for a fact that the numbers of majority minority districts decreased from the first version of the state maps to the second version of the state maps, despite the fact that there is for instance, increasing numbers of Latinos living in the state of Illinois. And uh, those people deserve a chance to be heard and to be rightfully represented, as we all do. And um, the Democratic supermajority in the state of Illinois um, chose to disrespect them. What did you make of the actions of Republicans during the redistricting process? They didn't submit any maps and they largely um, just sort of used a lot of these hearings as opportunities to sort of um, point out the shortcomings of the majority or what they argued were and potentially, uh, you know, just make the case for why this process should be taken out of lawmakers' hands. What were your thoughts on the GOP? Well, you know, they have also filed suit uh, claiming that various groups in the state had their uh, rights trampled upon, and we will see what comes of that in, uh, in the next month or so. Hopefully we'll have a resolution before the end of the year when it's time for candidates to start uh, going around collecting signatures to try to run from these districts. Uh, you know, there was a lot of pushback from Democrats that Republicans should have offered up their own maps. The Republicans replied saying, you know, we don't believe that we should be creating maps. We believe residents should be creating them or an independent redistricting commission should be creating them. Um, you know, that flies in the face of what's happening in other states where Republicans are in the majority. So it's hard for me to uh, assess whether their comments were genuine or not. What do you think the effects could be after the new legislative and congressional maps, um, you know, become enacted? Uh, obviously, after the um, uh, the courts handle the legislative maps, but what do you think the ultimate effect could be? Uh, I think clearly there it will be an increase in Democratic numbers in the state of Illinois, and they already have a supermajority. 
Now, you know, typically at the congressional level in an off-year election, which is what we will have next year, um, the party out of power in the White House tends to do better. And we just saw that happen, in fact, in uh, Virginia and uh, close call in New Jersey. Uh, So perhaps the congressional map won't produce quite as many Democratic seats as had been predicted. Uh, We'll have to wait and see. But certainly I think um, the party in power, whichever party it is, uh, went for broke. And in this case, it was Democrats in Illinois and tried to produce maps that are going to produce as many Democrats as possible so that they can keep their grip on power and grow it whenever possible. We've already alluded to the the court challenge to the legislative maps, but um, you know I don't know how close you're you're paying attention to the uh, proceedings in that. But as that three judge panel considers the cases which have been consolidated, what are you going to be looking for? Uh, well, I very much was heartened to see that the three judge panel declared the first set of maps to be unconstitutional and in fact uh, made a point of noting in their opinion um, that there were a lot of complaints from Change Illinois and other groups that this process was far from transparent, uh, open, and meaningful for the people of Illinois. And so I take that as a good sign, and I'm very eager to see if, in fact, they believe as we do that these maps uh, need to be revised. The last time uh, we spoke for this podcast, you talked about how previous efforts to change the way Illinois redistricting have been stymied for various reasons, including uh, the legal challenge to add a question on the ballot and the COVID-19 pandemic. The question, I guess, now with this process largely behind um what's what's next, you know, for groups like yours? Is there room or a willingness to make another push to remove lawmakers from the redistricting process? Or what what are you focusing on in, you know, the coming months and years, really? Well, we're not giving up and going away. Um, sorry to have to say that out loud for <laughs> lawmakers. We're going to continue to pester them and be a, a, as big a thorn in their collective side as we can be. Uh, the people of the state have demonstrated in supermajority numbers in scientific polls over and over and over again that they want politicians taken out of the redistricting process. They want a um, much more nonpartisan, even-handed approach that truly serves the people of Illinois. Uh, and so we're assessing a number of options. Certainly, I hope that attempts at the federal level to try to um, mandate that congressional redistricting be done by independent commissions nationwide eventually succeeds. Uh, Certainly, I would hope that there might be some appetite in Springfield for removing this provision that has not worked well at all in our state constitution that threatens drawing names from a hat in order to determine which political party uh, gains control over the redistricting process. You know, we're going to try everything we can think of to try to persuade our lawmakers that they have an inherent conflict of interest when they're picking their voters instead of voters picking them. And so we'll continue to uh, fight that battle and wage that war. 
Could that potentially include another effort to get a question on the ballot or is that sort of that bridge is passed? You know, I don't know whether that bridge is passed to be perfectly honest, Joel. I think that is going to depend on the outcome of the next Supreme Court elections Mm. and how that Supreme Court is shaped. Uh, I don't think if if the uh, makeup of the Supreme Court changes that we have a very good chance of um, succeeding in that effort. We probably would continue to try to uh, take more of a legislative approach to fixing the problem, but we have to wait and see what happens with uh, those elections and, um, and how this all shakes out in the next year or two. But we'll be organizing and trying to engage more people in Illinois to understand that you know, when politicians are picking their voters, they're essentially determining the outcome of the election before you cast your ballot, and that's voter suppression. And, you know, ironically enough, it's the Democratic Party uh, that has been trying to fight voter suppression efforts across the country. And so that ought to apply here as well. There's so many ironies, I think, in this Illinois process, including the fact that you had, um, you know, major players involved in this process who are either African-American or Latino, but leading to a reduction in the number of districts that would be Latino or Black influence or majority districts. Why do you think that is? The only thing that I can think of is simply that the uh, leadership of the party made it very clear that they we're going to do what they were going to do and everybody better fall in step and go along or their um, campaign help was going to be withheld from them. The financial help that they get from their leaders was going to be withheld from them. Uh, You know, at the congressional level, the outcome of the districts is very much a high priority at the national level because there's such a slim majority in the house uh, for the democratic party And so I think the marching orders were uh, to get in line and uh, follow along, follow the leaders or uh, risk retaliation is the only, the only thing I can conclude. No one has told me that that's totally my speculation. Um, But it, it's, it's baffling to me that um, certain members of the Black Caucus and the Latino Caucus um, did not fight more for more districts that would um, help their constituents have more political power and better representation. Uh, It was odd to me to see um, State Senator Christina Castro very vocally asking people during congressional hearings if they believed there ought to be a second Latino influence district in the congressional maps. And there was nothing like that on the part of any Latino or black lawmakers during any of the state hearings. The the, the process and, and the sort of way that they drew the districts even um, on the congressional level seemed to be very different than what they did in the legislative districts uh, in terms of following certain boundaries and splitting up cities. Um, but that's a whole nother thing we can get into at, at another point. Uh, So the last question I had for you is you're seeing other states go through their redistricting processes right now. 
And several of them for the first time have implemented sort of these um, non-legislative or lawmaker-led um, systems, right? You've seen one in Michigan and a couple of other states. Um, are you optimistic that as there are other states that begin to adopt this, uh, that that might add additional pressure on Illinois lawmakers to change the way they do this in 2031? I certainly hope so. Uh, Colorado is another state that is having an independent commission draw maps for the first time. Uh, as you noted, Michigan is another. Um, Ohio tried to do things a little bit differently than most other states, and uh, there have been plenty of bumps along the road in several of these instances. Uh, they haven't always worked out perfectly, uh, but I do think that there is momentum building and growing across the country, um, you know, in support of ending politician involvement in drawing their own districts and picking their own voters. And I think that's only going to grow. Madeline Dubeck with Change Illinois. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure, Joe. Thanks for having me. Joining me now on the Cloudcast is Frank Calabrese, a map maker who is working on legislative or, and has worked on uh, congressional uh, redistricting as well as some city stuff for the city of Chicago. Thanks for coming on, Frank. Thanks for having me, Joe. So, Frank, I wanted to uh, get back with you to reflect on sort of what's been going on on the legislative uh, end of things. You've testified throughout the redistricting process, including during the con congressional redistricting. Uh, and when, when you spoke before House and Senate committees, you encouraged lawmakers to create a second Latino influence district. For listeners who didn't hear you, explain why you were advocating for that. Sure. So currently I work for the Chicago Latino Caucus, uh, making the maps for the city of Chicago. And a priority has also been increasing um, the Latino representation at the congressional level. So right now, Illinois is about 18% Latino, but we only have one out of um, 18 Latino congressional districts. And the Latino population um, in Cook County is kind of divided into north and south. On the southwest side, um, you have a very heavy uh, Mexican-American population. The northwest side, it's a little more mixed with like Puerto Rican, Guatemalan, more Central American. And so you have like two very distinct uh, Latino communities, and they're not geographically connected. The current congressional district is actually connected by uh, 290 and some cemeteries in uh, Forest Park. So you have two distinct Latino communities, two very large Latino communities, and you can certainly create two separate Latino districts, and that's what the state legislature eventually did. It, it looked like at the beginning when you presented your first presentation on this, um, and then they came out with their first version of maps that they weren't going to listen to your recommendation. Um, but then eventually uh, the maps that were adopted did incorporate both of those, uh, you know, uh, Latino influenced districts. Do you know what changed? I, I think that we did a very good job of uh, getting the, the conversation out there. We were covered, um, you know, in various media outlets and a lot people in Springfield were talking about it. The first map, it was drawn to have Marie Newman run against Adam Kinzinger. Now that, I think Springfield thought that would be beneficial to Marie Newman considering the alternative of 
turning her district into a Latino district. But she did not like um, her district against running against Adam Kinzinger. And so I believe Springfield Democrats just said, well, if you don't like this, we're just going to make a Latino district that's going to uh, satisfy, you know, our Latino partners in the legislature. You said you were looking, you were working for the, the Latino caucus uh, at the city council. Is there anybody in particular who's been urging that? And is there anybody that might run for that now open congressional seat? Well, Alderman uh, Gil Viegas, who is the chairman of the Latino caucus, he has announced that um, he is running for that seat. It was in the Sun-Times today. So uh, he, he's announced that he's running, and um, I'm pretty sure there will be many more people that will announce shortly. Overall, Democrats argued the new congressional maps, as well as the legislative boundaries, will reflect the state's diversity. In your view, how does that claim square with sort of the legal challenges that have been undergone uh, with the legislative maps where you have, um, you know, various groups arguing that the votes of black and Latinos were diluted under the latest legislative map? So I believe that the congressional map does fairly more fairly represent the state in terms of diversity. The, The legislative map does have some challenges. Um, in East St. Louis, the, uh, the black population was split up between uh, two legislative seats instead of just having it in one. And um, the 114th district, which is um, representative Greenwood's district, is, is under 40 percent black, where if you're familiar with East St. Louis um, in that area, you could, you could easily, in my opinion, make a, a majority black district or, or certainly greater than 40 percent. And then in this, uh, around the city of Chicago, it seems that um, Latino representation wasn't really maximized. Um, There's some legal terms of cracking and packing. And basically, you know, the, um, what they're alleging, what Maldef and the Republican Party is alleging, is that, um, that they did not efficiently make Latino districts. And, and I believe that they could have easily made an additional um, Latino district, especially on the southwest side of Chicago. So, um, whereas I think this, I think the state legislator, I think Springfield Democrats kind of listened to the criticism um, in their maps that they made for the state legislature, and they um, they made a congressional map which um, you create an additional Latino district, and they're not going to get sued at least by Maldef over the congressional districts. Mm-hmm. State lawmakers this year punted on taking up any new maps for judicial subcircuits. I know you testified about that during one of the uh, hearings, uh, specifically about Cook County. Again, for people that don't really know what judicial subcircuits are and why they need to be redistricted, can you explain? Sure. So this is actually a project I've been working on for a few years. The um, the legislature, they passed a special law two years ago to redistrict um, the judicial subcircuits of Cook County. And what they did during veto session this year is they changed the law they previously passed and they said they're going to redistrict those subcircuits next year. Um, from my understanding, there was a serious disagreement between what the House wanted to do and what the Senate wanted to do in terms of uh, redoing these districts. So these districts were drawn um, in 1990 and they reflected the demographics and they reflected the political alliances of the 80s. And obviously, um, the Cook County of today is very different than the Cook County of the 80s. You know, there's I, I work in politics and I work in a lot of these uh, judicial races. 
And a lot of these, if, if you could see a picture of what these uh, sub-circuits look like, um, you know, they're, they're just crazy. You know, a lot of, a lot of people criticize, um, you know, how some wards look like, but, you know, these sub-circuits are much worse. And also the sub-circuits, you know, because they were created so long ago, they haven't taken into the uh, account the demographic shifts. For example, the West Loop, you know, used to be an African-American area. It's, it's essentially white now. Um, West Town used to be a Latino area. It's essentially all white now. And so you had you had a, a sub-circuit which was designed to elect Latinos. Um, the sixth sub-circuit, it doesn't elect Latinos anymore. So um, out of 15 sub-circuits, you only had one sub-circuit that, uh, that could elect Latinos, and, um, and that turned out to be a problem. So um, I, I'm a little disappointed that, that the, the sub-circuits weren't redistricted um, this year, but they will be next year, and, and I look forward to that happening. I wanted to turn to sort of looking ahead now. So um, in, in previous years, you've heard people argue, uh, community groups and others argue why lawmakers should remove themselves from the remapping process, saying that uh, essentially right now they choose voters rather than the voters choosing them. Um, the arguments in favor of that system of, of changing the system is essentially saying that right now the process leads to a lot of gerrymandered districts and few competitive races. I wondered what your thoughts are on that and uh, where are you at on, on whether to keep the current system or to sort of uh, change things in Illinois? So I believe that more citizen um, input would be very beneficial. Um, you know, I follow redistricting nationwide, and Illinois probably has one of the, the less transparent uh, processes. Um, a redistricting commission probably wouldn't be great for Illinois for congressional. Um, that's because many Republican-controlled controlled states, they like to pass very extreme gerrymandered um, congressional districts, you know, such as North Carolina and Florida and Texas. And Illinois is kind of looked at um, a way to counter, you know, a lot of um, Republican gerrymandering. But I, I do believe when it comes to the state legislative level that, you know, um, a more fair, transparent and uh, citizen focused process should be implemented. Um, I, I don't believe this is going to take much power away from Springfield Democrats. I think, um, you know, I, I'm a Democrat, but personally, I, I don't care if, you know, um, the state house is controlled. 70 or 75 percent by by Democrats. You know, I, I think that if you had a, a more fair, transparent and and uh, a process that respected um, kind of community interests and community boundaries better, that, you know, Democrats might lose uh, three or four seats. It, it, would, it would not um, tip the control up to uh, Republicans. The Democrats um, that were leading a lot of the legislative hearings were saying, look, we have a lot of hearings. This is giving people the chance to uh, weigh in. But, you know, there weren't that many people that could, um, obviously because of either the difficulty of, uh, you know, uh, signing in, providing testimony, not seeing maps uh, until the very end. How could, in your mind, could you sort of make this a little bit more transparent, open, aside from just holding a ton of meetings? So what a lot of other states do is that um, in a lot of Democratic-controlled states, they have, you know, actual independent redistricting committees. Now, some of them are binding and some are non-binding. Um, I think it would be 
um, a good idea to have uh, an advisory independent um, you know redistricting commission it doesn't have to be binding you know that there, there's many states that it, where it's just advisory and then the state legislature they you know they, they amend it um, as they could but I think it would be helpful to kind of have um, some experts that are looking at how to redistrict Illinois um, just not through a partisan lens but more of a community focused lens and kind of get those drafts out there and then let the politics happen afterwards. How does uh, the state legislative process compare to the city council remapping? Do you see similarities, major differences in terms of openness, transparency? Well, I believe the state is actually much more transparent than the city. So, so the city, it's extremely um, aldermanic focused, right? So we are um, three weeks before the deadline. And the city just launched um, kind of a public portal. I'm not a big fan of this public portal. It's the same public portal that the state used. And, you know, I, I, I do this, you know, currently for a living and I had trouble using the portal. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's very clumsy. I, I, I use different um, software. So um, the state, you know, they had live testimony. You could do Zoom. You could, you know, submit your maps. And they had that for many months where the city is going to do that for probably a two-week period, and you cannot present um, testimony via Zoom. You only have, you can only have three minutes to talk on the phone, and at three minutes, they literally cut you off. I, I, about half the speakers yesterday, they were cut off like it was a game show. It was, it was, so um, I, I, I believe, you know, while the state, you know, I think um, was less transparent than other states, um, I think the state is much more transparent than the city of Chicago. So um, I'm currently, you know, I, I'm doing this for Latina Caucus. I'm really only engaging um, aldermen and kind of organized community groups. We're, we're not really um, engaging, um, you know, individuals. And it's just, just because, the, you know, the, the, the rules committee just doesn't have an option for that yet or, that, or they're just implementing it. So um, I, I think that the, the, there's much to be improved for the city process in terms of transparency. Again, I, I'm not working for the, the city at large. I'm just doing it for the, the, uh, the Latino caucus. And we, got a, we made a map. We made a map uh, three weeks ago. We got it out there. We, you know, we gave it to the press and people are reacting to it. And um, you know, through, through communications, through our, uh, through our membership, through our aldermen, um, and through, you know, press and I check Twitter, you know, I'm, I'm adjusting the map as, uh, as I receive feedback where the city, because they just launched a portal and they don't even have a draft yet. You know, they have absolutely no mechanism to receive feedback, um, through the official city map that, that might, um, be eventually presented. So fast forward 10 years from now, look into your crystal ball of redistricting and tell me, what does redistricting look like in Illinois and the Chicago City Council? Does it look the same? Does it look different? Um, you know, what would you like to see happen in the next 10 years? And what do you think could happen? So I think that um, the likelihood of success by the plaintiffs in the state legislative lawsuit is very high. I, I, I think that um, I think the judges might make some adjustments to some districts that um, affected minority representation. And if that is successful, you know, I think that's going to be a very big deal. I think that people are going to remember that 10 years in the future. And so I think that, um, 
you know, the state legislative process is going to be more attuned to kind of um, criticism so that, that they might try to make things a little more open, a little more transparent. The, the city process, it's to be determined. So um, I'm very hopeful that the aldermen can um, agree on a map. But if the aldermen cannot agree to a map and a referendum happens, um, you know, I think that a lot of these aldermen, I don't know what the lesson will be learned. Maybe the lesson is that you want less transparency so you can just get, you know, all the aldermen to agree on a map. So it's really hard to uh, to say what's going to happen in the future. But I just think if you look at trends nationwide, um, you know, average citizens are becoming more involved in the redistricting process. They realize how important this is. So I, I'm hoping that this will be more accessible to citizens, more transparent. Um, that's what I'm hopeful for. Frank Calabrese, thanks for coming on the Cloudcast. Thank you for having me, Joel. I really appreciate it. That's it for this episode of the Cloudcast. Special thanks to Madeline Dubeck and Frank Calabrese. This episode has been produced and edited by myself, Joel Ebert. The next episode will drop in two weeks.